about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. My name is Ben. I'm Garrett. And I'm Katie. And we are all currently character animators at Disney. That is correct. And today we are drinking some self-assessment juleps. Woo! Yeah. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Props to uh, Katie's bro who yeah. uh, gave us this one. Jamie, right? thank you. Jamie. Yeah, <laughs> thank ironic you, Jamie. because Jamie actually does not drink, and he came up with the most clever drink name in media. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> but, yes, yeah. thank you, Jamie. <laughs> I shouldn't you. say most clever. We got a lot of amazing res- uh, responses, so thank you to everybody who who wrote in. And a lot of these we are going to save for future episodes. Yeah. So just, Wanted to give a couple uh, shout outs yes. out there because we were so humbled by the creativity <laughs> that we were immediately struck with when we posted the kind of open call to drinks based on self-assessments. Um, I think designing Curtis might have the award for just most, I don't Curtis, I don't know what's going on in your brain, but I like it. He just rapid fired like four great drink names right out. There was Tequila Skill Rise, the Skill Driver instead of Screwdriver, Uh, Master of Maya Mai Tai. Fantastic. And then possibly my personal favorite was the Bouncing Bellini. Oh, oh my God. Fantastic. That's great. So I I feel like we definitely have to make a Bouncing Bellini in the future. Definitely. That's Um, amazing. But uh, yeah, so many great ones. Thank you, everybody who took the time to write in. Yeah. And again, if we did not read yours right now, uh, it is. Certainly no guarantee that we won't use it in the future because we yeah. got a lot of great ones. And that was loved. so much fun. I think we'll do this for every episode going forward. So. Yeah. It yeah. takes the work off of uh, us, too, to come up with awkward <laughs> right. puns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've drink. been declining in our naming. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. We peaked at Critiqueria, come on. <laughs> or was That's it Critiqueria? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But yeah, Jamie, thanks again Yeah, yes, uh, for the you. great name. And uh, again, we do want to emphasize that we absolutely support everyone in their decision to drink or not to drink, like my brother Jamie for not drinking. Go. Good for you, totally. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so that brings us to the topic of the episode, which is what level animator are you? Um, and that definitely entails mm. a certain amount of self-assessment and how to actually go about doing that self-assessment. Um, so we're going to talk about the different phases of learning animation kind of in our opinion and we're going to structure this episode by going through what we think those main levels of animator are like beginner intermediate internship ready crowd fix assistant junior um, and sort of just plain animator (laughs) Uh, for each category we will sort of talk about the expected trends we see for years of experience, workflow methods, demo reel contents, like what you might expect to see on your demo reel, um, common limitations and problems that we see within a certain level, as well as, most importantly, advice for how you might get to the next level and what to focus on. And 
sort of the inspiration for this episode <laughs> comes from a talk that Ben and I went to when we were students at SCAD. Uh, we went to see a talk with Zach Parrish and Nathan Engelhart, who are our coworkers at Disney. Zach's been, I think, a head of animation on Big Hero 6, and Nathan Engelhart has been an animation supervisor. So amazing animators. Um, they came to talk at SCAD when we were students, and they actually talked about their own journeys and how there was this point when they were students that they realized their skill level didn't really match up to their taste level. And they actually shared some of their really early work as students. And I think Ben and I both walked away from that talk realizing, oh, wow, we are like in that level of student animator and we're not that far off from where they were as students. And wow, look at where they are now. And that kind of empowered us to realize, okay, we just have to put the work in and then maybe we can reach that same level. Um, and it's just kind of a matter of time and effort. So I'm really passionate about this topic because I, I want to empower all of you animators who are listeners to kind of self-evaluate where you are and compare that to where you want to be and give you the tools to actually take the next step and and really work for it. Yeah. Well said. And uh, something I particularly liked about when Zach and Nathan came and spoke at SCAD was that that was the first time I ever saw it kind of broken down in any sort of like objective, mm -hmm. like this is kind of a way to chart your progress and, you know, how far you've come and what you still need to do before you might be competitive for, you know, the job market. And I found that so refreshing because yeah. with so many other disciplines, whether you're in medicine or whatever, like there's a very definitive tract, you know, where it's like, okay, you do four years of undergrad, you know, four to six years of med school, maybe mm -hmm. another couple of years of this or whatever. And with animation, it's so nebulous. It's just like you start animating <laughs> and <then laughs> yeah. you try to get better. And so I think, I guess, kind of the impetus for this whole episode is to try to give a little more structure because it, it can be a little difficult to know kind of where you stand in the grand scheme of things. Um, mm -hmm. So, cool. yeah, with that said, um, obviously, I'm going to give the disclaimer that this episode will be very animation centric. Yeah. Um, and specifically, we're going to be talking a lot probably in terms of like going into the feature animation world or gaming cinematics. But we wanted to take a moment to say uh, two things. First of all, that we still think this, this kind of method of assessing yourself could apply to a number of different disciplines, but also that even though we always talk about things in terms of like feature animation or, you know, like the big, like blizzard cinematics or something like that, I, am so passionate about this point that some of the best animators are in commercials are yeah. in VR are doing definitely, you know, all kinds of different things. So please know that I guess we're kind of doing this as like a COA, just that we talk about this a lot from feature film because it's what we're currently in. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think any of us ascribe to the belief that feature film are, you know, automatically the best animators you know there there are amazing animators in a variety of places and we hope that the uh you know tools we try to give you in this episode to gauge where you are uh, would kind of help you along your journey regardless of where you want to go whether it's mm -hmm. one of the big studios or you know commercials or or whatever it is um yeah well said 
Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, next, we wanted to say there's a lot of overlap between the different categories, of course. we you know This is our best attempt at kind of shoehorning very definitive levels into the learning animation experience. But of course, there's overlap and there's some, you know, uh, gray, gray areas here and there. So, uh, it's safe to assume that if we list something as like a weakness in like an advanced animators portfolio, it also applies to like a junior animator. And there might be some overlap between, oh, maybe a beginner animator is starting to get better at this, but you know, that could also bleed into a, a intermediate level or something like that. So if, I guess we're saying that to say, like, to, you know, it doesn't have to be this exactly, but this is our best, uh, yeah. kind of our best attempt to to break things down into bite-sized chunks. And lastly, I feel like I've been talking forever here. I apologize, <laughs> <worry>. listener. <laughs> we will very often talk about things, gauge them in terms of, like, years of study. But it's important to know that it, this is all super dependent on your particular program or the quality of your teachers or school and how much time you can dedicate to your assignments and and then also just you as an individual mm-hmm. you know there we use we very much use generalizations in this episode um as best guesses but it is absolutely the case that um you know some people pick it up a little faster than others and you know so maybe if you go to a a stronger school you might pick this up, you might have better instruction and pick it up faster um but I feel like just from being in the industry for the amount of time we have and stuff, these are kind of the trends we see. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like um, in, in addition to that, uh, people are are at different levels at different times. And I think we mentioned maybe in our last episode that it, like, it can take you X amount of time to get from one level to the next, but then to get to the next level might take you like way longer or way shorter. So, you know, totally. people learn at different rates too. So don't feel discouraged if you're hearing anything, you know, like, oh, I'm not at this level yet. It's like, well, you know, everyone's journey is different. And like Katie kind of mentioned, this is definitely just a tool to like help you uh, moving forward. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention before was my idea of this episode is to give the listeners a peek into our brains when we look at a demo reel. Like generally, and I think Ben, ben and I talked about this recently. We feel like we can gauge the level of an animator within the first like five seconds of looking at their demo reel. And we want to give you guys the tips and tricks or the way to know what level you are based on those first five seconds and how how are we able to evaluate someone so quickly while we're looking at X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's what we're going to go through as we go through each level. <laughs> it takes me 10 seconds because I'm way, I'm way <laughs> animation. Well, it's so. because there's two of us. It's me and Katie. So it's, uh, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good save. <laughs> okay, so to start off, we are going to talk about beginners. And that would be the first level of learning animation. In terms of years of experience, uh, beginners are probably first and or second year students. And we wanted to talk about workflow and sort of common workflow trends for what you might be learning or struggling with. 
Um, so in general, a beginner probably does not have a solid workflow yet. You probably feel like you've just been dropped in the deep end. Um, you're, you've opened Maya. You don't really understand what the UI is and where to find things or what things do. Maybe you hit a button by accident and then that totally derails you because you don't know what just happened and everything looks different in the viewport. Yeah, um, that definitely happens all the way through super advanced. That's true. <laughs> That can keep happening, <laughs> but it probably happens at a much higher rate when you're new. Absolutely. Um, so you might get totally overwhelmed. That's completely normal. And you might get lost trying to solve technical problems. And then you'll ask your buddy and they'll like hit one button and fix it for you. And you're like, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> or maybe there's a checkbox that you missed somewhere. Um, you're probably not comfortable with the graph editor and maybe you don't even know what that is yet and you just want to avoid it like the plague. You've possibly <laughs> never heard of FK or IK controls. Um, you don't know what constraints are. And you probably right now, the way you animate might be fairly straight ahead where you're kind of just going in chronological order for your animation and you maybe aren't doing tons of planning and you don't really have a good concept of what blocking, splining, and polishing is. You just kind of might be animating from A to B, um, beginning to finish. Um, yeah, that's what I think the main workflow is, or main workflow um, components. Yeah, yeah, like issues yeah. you might issues. Have. Yeah, you might have yeah. as a beginner. For sure. This is such a tough with especially with 3D animation, it is such a steep learning curve. Yeah. Because like nobody really has a natural feel for how Maya works or like these crazy softwares or something. As when especially when you first open them. So um yeah, it's tough. Our heart goes out to yeah. you. Our hearts <laughs> go out to you. Yeah, especially yeah. if you're coming from like 2D or something and then all of a sudden you're dropped in this computer UI and it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I remember when I just started in Maya, like it was an accomplishment doing anything. Like <laughs> yeah. importing a rig or like importing audio and like almost like the animation itself was secondary. Like it was like, okay, yeah. if I could make something move, that's cool. But like look at the graph editors here in this spot and like I I got my rig in. So yeah. Right. It's yeah. you're you're overcoming so much when you're a beginner and you're learning so many things. It's no wonder that like your work, you know, isn't um, absolutely amazing yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember just the original you know, like toggling around in the viewport and like what? I have to like hold alt and right click <laughs> and like like what how is this how it is, you know? So, yeah, it's so crazy. You're totally right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um to kind of go further with that line of thinking, like what your demo reel might look like when you're a beginner, we put here just kind of like any of those beginner class assignments you'd get in animation school if you go to school. Um, stuff like, you know, like ball bounces, you know, weight shifts with characters. Maybe you have like some walk cycles on there. Um, like push-pull exercises uh, is, a, is a big one. And you might have like one pantomime assignment and one dialogue assignment. Um, and also your reel might have a mix of like different mediums and disciplines, kind of like a bunch, kind oh, of like yeah. everything packed mm -hmm. into your, your reel. And it kind of doesn't really help you. Uh, it doesn't really make you competitive for like a highly specialized internship because 
Well, I guess that's not necessarily the case. Like, it's not a hard and fast rule, but, like, if you have, like, CG animation, modeling, rigging, dynamics, and, like, you know, you're acting, like, if you have everything in one reel, it's just not as specialized as having just, like, character animation, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a common hallmark when you're a beginner because you just want to put everything you possibly have together in one one space. So I certainly definitely had that, too. Um. And we also put like, it's a chronological history of every piece you've ever animated on your reel. And that's, again, it's kind of like when you try to make a resume and you don't have enough experience. So you just pad it with like everything you possibly have. And it's like yeah. animation <laughs> equivalent of that. Yeah. So that's kind of like, yeah, hallmark signs you might uh, be in this phase. But, that's right. So in addition to that, when you're looking at individual shots, uh, some of the common limitations or problems you might have would be that it kind of basic um, mechanics things, like uh, things might be hitting a lot of walls in your animation, meaning it kind of travels to a certain place in screen space and then comes to a really hard stop instead of like easing in or like mm-hmm. having nice arcs or anything. A lot of the times, um, kind of on the flip side, things might seem very floaty and weightless. Um, there could be strange timing and like spacing pops and such. Uh, another big thing is like linear arcs where something's just kind of tragging, uh, <laughs> tragging. Something's <laughs> traveling, uh, kind of in a very, very straight lines as opposed to nice arcs and such. Um, and I mentioned this before, but big, pops with spacing and stuff and a lot of people actually it might sound weird when if you're you know super new to animation but a pop is basically when a body part or something it might be going very slowly from like one frame to another frame but then all of a sudden it's like 10 units away Mm -hmm. and in screen space so we call those pops and they happen a lot with like knees elbows things like that but it could be anything in animation so that's that's a big one to look out for uh, dead eyes is another big one where um, I often feel like, and it kind of makes sense when you're dealing with a, a whole character you're animating, um, that the eyes almost might be an afterthought because you're just focusing on like, oh, I just want the body and everything <laughs> to feel okay. Yeah. Um, and I know I was certainly certainly guilty of this when I was starting out. Um, but really, when you're watching animation reels, you focus so much on the face and eyes that, that that's a big a dead giveaway no pun intended <laughs> dead eyes, um, in an animation that that it's kind of more of a beginner thing yeah one way to think about that or another way to phrase that might be sort of like doll eyes where like the pupils aren't moving a lot and maybe they're just kind of constantly in the middle of the eye and staring straight forward like yeah. a doll would if you were moving it around yeah or on the flip side, that they're like in IK world space or whatever, and like the head's moving a lot and the uh, eyes yeah, stay perfectly, totally. like, you know, they like don't <laughs> go with the head at all. That's another big one. Um, another big warning sign is that if your animation feels kind of like a marionette with the hands and feet, like you can tell it's very obviously in IK mode. Um, that's a huge thing to look out for with, it's kind of a hallmark of more beginner reels. And speaking of hands, another big one, kind of like the, the eyes is uh hand posing. Um, mm-hmm. usually, like we said, you can tell within the first few seconds or whatever of seeing a reel, if it's more studenty or, or super beginner and a big giveaway is the hands. Um, oftentimes they'll kind of look 
stiff and paddle-like on on more Mm -hmm. beginner reels. um, That's a really good point. Because it's it's really difficult to do, you know, no matter what level you are, really having nice hand shapes, you know, you usually have to tweak a lot of controls to get those, you know, get something really nice and appealing in there. So I remember it looks like he has a story, <laughs> a really, really quick story. I just remember showing my, my reel to Stuart Shaw, Blue Sky, a while ago. And I think I mentioned this in another episode, but he was like doing drawovers for my stuff and like he got to the hands and the fingers and he was doing the fingers. And I remember thinking like, do I really need to worry about the fingers? Like, <laughs> people really like see that. But then he was like, you have to worry about everything, dude. Like, and I was yeah. like, really? Like, <laughs> that matters. But yeah. So I, I remember that transition for me being like, oh, you actually have to like worry about that. You know, that's so funny. Yeah. I have almost such a similar story with the eyes too, where I kind of, instead of doll eyes, I would have the thing where they were just stuck to a world space control and the head was moving. So a lot of times if I had a big head move, you would, the pupil and iris would totally be gone and it would just be like a pure white eye. But if it was only for a few frames, I was like, oh, that doesn't matter. Like, you're not going (laughs) to see that, you know? (laughs) So a lot of like, yeah, beginner stuff is, Stuff like that, where it's like clearly a big problem, even if it's only for a couple frames or something, uh, right away that jumps out to a room of animators mm-hmm. if they're if they're reviewing your reel that you're kind of more at the beginning stages and not that you'll never be hired, but that you're not ready to be hired right now. Um, and kind of another hallmark of your shots might be that uh, they it's pretty clear that you're not using reference of any kind and. This can mean, yes, you're not using your own video reference or you're clearly just not studying real life enough in in some other way. Um, And basically it's, you know, when you say, okay, this person clearly had the idea to do this, but then didn't actually observe what it looks like to do that thing. Um, You know, and you'll have kind of really generic arcs or easing in and out of certain, you know, different Mm -hmm. actions. Or like if you have somebody hammering, like only the arm is moving in the hammer and they didn't really observe how that mm. it, you know, the entire body is incorporated with that um, little things like that. So those are just some, some of the most common problems we could think of that you would see in a beginner reel. Yeah. yeah. Ben kind of touched on this already, but the bottom line for this level is that like you're, you're unfortunately not quite ready to be hired yet, but you should still keep going and, Generally, we'd probably advise that you hold off on applying to internships. It it won't hurt you, but maybe that effort of applying is better spent just focusing on your assignments and putting your head down and working. So some advice to take your work to the next level would be just try to get A's on your assignments. Like make your bouncing ball, if that's what you're working on, the best bouncing ball you possibly can do like I remember um that was the first assignment I had at SCAD and I think I redid it three or four times because it just took kind of that trial and error to make it better and for my brain to start to compute and understand what timing was um so just really focus on the basics (laughs) you will learn so much by trying to make those basics the best that they can be And learn as much as you can from your teachers and classmates. Like, do not be afraid to ask for help. There's no shame in asking for help. Like, we all do it on a day to day basis. And you can 
always, yeah, learn a ton from classmates and teachers alike, especially like with those technical problems we were just talking about. Like if you run into a weird issue and your Maya looks different, or maybe you thought you deleted everything by accident, (laughs) like maybe someone can help you salvage um, the situation. And here's a big one. If your classmates are stronger, study their work and see what they're doing and also ask them for help. They probably can give you very pointed advice on how to improve and what they did to achieve the results they got. Um, And I, yeah, I feel like my, I learned so much by just asking Ben for help and um, fellow trainees when I was in the training program. So really like (laughs) focus on the top students and try to be like them and also learn from them. Um, And just likewise, I just have to add, I also asked Katie for help. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just keep going. Like no assignment is beneath you. If, if you didn't feel like you aced your bouncing ball or your weight shift, maybe like don't, just try to progress to the acting shot. Maybe really focus on making that weight shift the best weight shift you can do. Uh, Because as you progress, everything builds off of what you did before. So you want to make sure that you have a solid foundation and a really, really strong grasp of the basics. Yeah. And just to, to encourage you, like, I love what you said about just keep going. You know, if, if you're a beginner and you've, gone through Maya's UI and you haven't like ran screaming like animation's <laughs> probably for you because like a lot of people like yeah. open that software and they will look at everything and be like what you know like Isabel definitely had that reaction she took, she took an intro to animation class for a day and I'm, I feel bad for calling her out but it was funny <laughs> but she was just like this is definitely not for me like this is insane so yeah it's normal to be completely intimidated by the software. And obviously we're talking, a lot of this is just like CG animation. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like similar things probably apply to, to 2d and stop motion, but we're, we're all CG animators here. <laughs> so. All right. So moving on to the next level up, we put intermediate. Um, and for this, we said like, maybe you're like a third or fourth year student, you know, you've done animation for maybe like a couple years and you're kind of uh, maybe you're standing out in your class. Um, you're getting a little more familiar with the UI of like Maya or whatever software you're using. Um, and you're kind of figuring out your, you're getting to know like the timeline and maybe the rigs and FKIK and all that stuff. Um, and also you might be kind of gaining a little more familiarity with more technical things like, you know, prop constraints um, and using the graph editor, you know, maybe you're not completely comfortable with the graph editor yet, but you, you're definitely like way more comfortable than you were like at a beginner level. Like you're not completely intimidated by it yet. And you're probably focusing a little more on the facial animation and finger animation. Um, and your eye is probably improving. You know, you're probably, um, you know, noticing like pops in your animation. Maybe you're not getting as many notes like from supervisors, your, your teachers, you're catching it before it gets to them and you're able to track arcs and kind of like what Ben was talking about, just like fixing those weird walls and, you know, making everything look nice and not as linear. Um, you're also probably trying to figure out your workflow. This is definitely like, it's definitely a continuous process throughout your career too. Like you're never 
you know, fully in control of your workflow. Uh, but you're probably wondering, like, should I, do I like using reference? Do I prefer FK or when do I, you know, like FK versus IK? And, um, you know, you're kind of experimenting because you're, you're figuring things out. And as a result, like, we put that your blocking spline polish phases are probably, like, a bit nebulous. Like, you probably don't have much distinction between all those steps because mm-hmm. um, you're just figuring things out. And, like, I, when we thought of this, I was uh, reminded of, like, you know, like, when you block something and stepped and you go to spline and the like you know you're just like oh my god this looks horrible like the moment (laughs) you go from blocking the spline it just it looks terrible and usually like the reason at least in my case like when that happens is when I don't block out enough poses like if I'm like Mm -hmm. animating and I have like a pose every eight frames as opposed to like every two frames or whatever so that I feel like this phase is like you're kind of learning that too you're just like oh maybe I can't I can't put like a pose every 10 frames. I have to like define more so that when I spline, it's not like horrible. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's a yeah. great thought. Yeah. I feel like this is a point where you have like a lot of aha moments with your workflow too. Yes. Where you're like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. Or, oh my gosh, like this is such a better way to do this <laughs> or plan this. Or <laughs> I can't believe I did it this way for so long. And um, yeah, totally. Totally. So some of the hallmarks of an intermediate demo reel would be that you're just kind of starting to replace your beginner exercises with uh, more dialogue and physical showcase pieces. Um, I would actually hazard a guess to say that most of the demo reels you see out there might fall into the intermediate camp. And mm-hmm. I think I might even say for myself, even after having worked in the industry for a couple of years, I feel like my demo reel has possibly most been an intermediate. Like it takes so long (laughs) to just get from beginner to intermediate. And then still so much time to get from intermediate to beyond that. Um, And uh, another example of like what an intermediate exercise might be or something that might immediately strike a room of recruiters or, or reviewers as more intermediate is this. If you have pieces that are like super, uh, rotoscopy and physical, like we, we see a lot of like parkour, martial arts, dance, gymnastics routines, and not to say there isn't value in doing those and learning from them. But if you feel like one of the strongest pieces on your reel is one of those like super rotoscoped mm-hmm. um, exercises, it probably means you're more in the intermediate category. Um, and you should be proud that you're beyond beginner and, you know, you've, you've, mm-hmm. you can do complex mechanics instead of, you know, kind of more simple stuff, but, but yeah, you might have to kind of keep, keep plugging along. Um, some of the common limitations and problems we might see in demo reels, uh, that fall under the intermediate category would be acting clarity. That's maybe like one of the biggest ones, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's just kind of, yeah, really well observed acting sort of stuff lacking that basically and um another thing that is pretty common is kind of this to say it as negatively as possible (laughs) boring or cliche ideas um and and oftentimes this is limited by like class prompts or assignment times and and we totally understand that that it might be like okay you need to be showing a character who's you know surprised at x y and z and you have three weeks to do it 
Um, even if you do a great job, oftentimes that comes out as very clear to a group of reviewers that, okay, this person's kind of in the intermediate stage if, if that's a big portion of the reel. Um, overacting is, is a big thing we see in intermediate things or intermediate reels. And again, this, this might mean that there aren't like obvious problems, you know, that things might be moving decently well. And, you know, you're just kind of missing that extra level of, uh, naturalism or appeal and and it might just be like we said before a little boring or cliche or or what have you um another big warning sign is that uh your characters don't go through like a change in thought or emotion um a big thing is that you won't see a character actually like thinking in any of your animations mm-hmm. um Uh, another one would be, and again, this is like when we wrote this down, this reminded me so much of like 80% of the reels I made when I was in school was that it's a (laughs) lot of quick cuts and that's like totally understandable. And sometimes even in like more senior reels, that's the case. But I think like speaking from experience, my reel, and I think a lot of reels fall into this category is where it's like, okay, my reels like 95% five second dialogue clips Yeah, where I have mm-hmm. kind of generic acting and it's just a character saying this. So then this funny line and that funny line, and th- you know, and that's like kind quantity of instead reel. of quality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that exactly. can get exhausting because if you're watching it, you don't really get time to process each piece and it's just like so quick and. Yeah. 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 One after the other. Absolutely. And totally understandable because a lot of schools are kind of structured that way where they'll, yeah. ki- they'll kind of, you know, uh, shoehorn you into doing that sort of stuff. But um, it's just good to be aware of that. This is kind of a hallmark of, a, of an intermediate reel. Um, and also we we notice with these reels, there there's usually a tendency to be too. Uh, one of two things and either that's too rotoscopy and and super like wedded to your reference material or too cartoony and not paying quite enough attention to your reference and in real life um and yeah it's funny you have animators who definitely like lean each way like just from our experience i would say katie was probably more on the rotoscopy side Mm -hmm. i was more on the not paying attention to video reference side Mm -hmm. um but we are both kind of intermediates here. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's tough. And, you know, these things are kind of subtle differences. It may seem like, especially when you're a student, you're getting started out, but they, they often stand out as like super clear to like, like I've said a few times, a, a room full of reviewers or animators mm-hmm. kind of checking out your work. Um, another thing might be another kind of more obvious thing might be kind of weaker body mechanics, uh, lack of offset or a lack of organic squash and stretch everything moving at the same time or or opposite things are moving in too isolated and there's too much overlap um and again it might not be hitting walls it might not be like super clear problems but it's like okay clearly this isn't really super well observed from real life and it's just kind of you know, the too much just, overlap yeah. point. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> no, <you're good. laughs> the too much overlap point. I feel like we all go through that where we like learn the principle of overlap and secondary action. And then we feel like we have to put that like <laughs> to undial it up to a hundred. <laughs> so yeah. you, I feel like in this phase, you'll often see like a walk cycle or something where people are just like super loose and you're having everything overlap. 
But then you look at someone on the street and realize like, oh my God, their head's like not moving at all. <laughs> and I yeah. just, or like their wrist seems like fixed and I just put in this floppy hand. Like, <laughs> but you, you just are thinking through, yeah, that principle of overlap and you want to put it in everything you do, but. It just looks so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you start to realize as you get more advanced, like, oh, we have muscles that can like hold their strength and and not overlap and it's a little bit more complicated <laughs> yeah yeah totally no i'm glad you said that I, I remember like some of the early cycles and animations we did everything was like a wet noodle where yeah, it was like that's a good and, way to or put it, it kind of looked like one of those uh like car salesmen yeah. like <laughs> characters you know they're just flopping in the breeze and i remember doing it and being like okay it's overlapping why does it not look good? Like I'm objectively, I'm doing what you're supposed to do. Why is it, you know, not look like anything I've seen in a Disney movie? Oh my or gosh! Something? But, yeah, so I feel like I did a weight shift and it looked like I was doing like the electric slide or something because <laughs> right. I had the guy's yeah. torso like totally go horizontal and yeah. then like took a huge step. Totally, but my brain just like had to go through that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So one of the last things we said we wrote down here for common limitations or problems you might experience as an intermediate animator is that incorporating notes can feel impossible or destructive. And that's, that's a good point. certainly something that spoke to me. I you know, it's kind of the case regardless of what level you're at that sometimes your animation can feel a little bit like a house of cards and if you change mm. one little aspect the whole thing's going to break and that's certainly fair to feel that way, but especially when you're kind of in the intermediate zone, uh, you lack the skills to be able to be like, to be able to go in surgically and change things, mm-hmm. um, which is such an important skill for when you're functioning in an actual production environment where they're like, okay, I'm okay with the first two thirds of it, but we have to totally change this last beat or whatever. Um, so that's a big thing. If you find that like particularly destructive and, and, um, kind of foreboding that that might be a warning sign that you're a little more in the intermediate camp at this at this stage and i feel like at its worst that can cause you to feel really defensive when you're getting a note you know because you're (laughs) you're like oh like you're thinking ahead you're like oh man he's saying this and that means i have to like spend all this time fixing that so i'm going to defend that by being like no like i don't need to do that because i i had this intention and i've definitely I've been I've been that person, so I understand um, yeah. that impulse. That well. is a very good point. <laughs> literally, I am literally working on a shot right now where I got a director note, and when I was getting the note, I was like, "Oh my, this is going to be ten times more work." <laughs> but you just have to you have to do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the job. So, um, yeah, that's a that's a huge huge aspect to this. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, totally. So the bottom line for being an intermediate animator is that you're not ready for internships quite yet. And if you apply to a job or internship and you get, or you can probably expect to get like a generic rejection or possibly no response at all, which again confirms that you're probably intermediate and not quite a competitive candidate yet. Um, and I would say, and, and you kind of hinted at this by saying that most demo reels we see kind of fall in intermediate, is that many people graduate in this phase. Um, and it's very possible that if you're in this phase, you might need two to four years or more of study 
um, and focus study at that. So (laughs) on one hand, like take solace in that you are in good company if you're intermediate um, and, and certainly like don't feel bad about it. Um, and on, yeah, on the other, just like keep going again and, and focus on getting to the next level. Um, and ways that you can get to the next level are try to get as much feedback as possible on your work. Um, we've talked about it in the past, but often when, (laughs) once you consider something done, that's when you start to get the really good notes from your teachers and your mentors is they start giving you those notes that like really, really plus your work. Um, and you start to kind of have revelations about how to make things better. Um, and I, I talked about this a little bit before with beginners, but I will caveat that just because you've kind of moved on to maybe in your program, you're literally taking a class, which is called intermediate character animation or something it's kind of possible that if you got mediocre passing grades in your beginner classes you might need to revisit those beginner concepts and you might super struggle with your work in the intermediate class so even though you're in the intermediate class if you're getting b's or c's it's possible that you you still have a lot of work to do um i would focus on getting one or two really strong demo reel pieces as a goal. And you might need to spend like 10 to 12 weeks on these pieces to really get them to a much higher level of improvement and accomplishment. And we know a lot of people that took online courses to kind of take this next step because you're getting feedback and mentorship directly from someone who's in the industry who knows what you need on your demo reel to get a job. Um, yeah, I feel like we've said before, like I feel like 75% or more of the department at Disney probably took online classes at some point and certainly for the younger yeah. set. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and ourselves as well, like have taken a mix of online courses. Um, And I think this is an important point where you should research the competition. Um, And one way to do this is to kind of look at your top companies and on LinkedIn or something, look up like Pixar intern or, or Disney trainee. And you'll start to see the people who got those introductory jobs that you wanted and Oftentimes they leave a paper trail online where you can see their demo reels and then you'll start to understand where the bar is to get hired and you can kind of recognize the gap between your work and that work. And I honestly feel like every animator kind of goes through this revelation of realizing, oh, shoot, my work really doesn't measure up to the competition Um, And I have a lot of work to do. And then you just kind of put your head down and focus on getting a better demo reel. Um, And the the last point uh, we put here for advice on taking your work to the next level is to just study good animation. Um, Frame through your favorite moments of character animation. Trace the arcs there. Count the number of frames it takes to to blink or open to close a blink, open a blink. Just really study it. Um, maybe you try to trace it, maybe you try to rotoscope it in CG, uh, and you'll start to, or you'll, you'll learn a lot just by looking at good animation. It's funny. I feel like 
more often like now I rely on that technique of looking at other animation and mm-hmm. getting inspired by it than I did when I was like early on in my career. I don't know why if it was like me being like a, a narcissist or something, like I don't want to <laughs> see other people's work. But now I'm like, oh, that kind of like gives me so much inspiration to just like see what other people do and like see how like the classic like Disney or, or whatever movies I'm watching like framing through it's so cool to see to frame through like old stuff Um, yeah yeah. actually that reminds me um i i think all of us sometimes mentor for rise up and i remember telling a trainee once like maybe you should do some screen grabs of like a character from a disney movie or something i think i told them to take a screen grab of uh shoot what's the guy's name entangled the main Flynn Rider. Flynn Rider. I said, maybe like look at different uh, facial expressions and mouth shapes for different consonants and vowels because the character they were working with kind of looked like Flynn Rider. And my mentee said, am I allowed to do that? Is that copying? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like (laughs) you're totally allowed. Like please reference. We all use reference all the time. Um, We often yet reference our own characters and like, do not have any qualms. It's it, we. I don't think we consider it copying at all. I mean, no. maybe if you were like using a Flynn Rider dialogue clip, I would stay away from that and like trying to copy that animation and putting it on your reel. But I think it's totally safe to take inspiration and reference something and reinterpret it for something else. So for our next section, we're calling this internship ready, which I think is a really important distinction. Kudos to Katie between like intermediate and like, you know, you don't immediately go from intermediate to advanced per se. This is like when you're, yeah, like, like is written down here, internship ready. I love this one. (laughs) Um, So as far as like years of experience, again, remember all of this is like contingent on your school, your specific timeline, but this is kind of our best guess. Um, we say usually earliest based on a four year school is that you've been studying for between three and four years, um, at like one of the top colleges or something. Um, if the internship program requires you to be in school before you would be probably competitive for that internship. Uh, but most likely you've been studying animation for around three to five years total. So I, I think we included that to say that, you know, it might be that, okay, you went through school and then did like a year of online school or something like that. And again, this is all kind of generalization, but you know, it's important to remember that when we say like three to, this is in your third or fourth year or whatever, we're talking about years of concentrated study more so than just like, Oh, I've kind of been in animation for four years, but I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, like Eric said really early on, my demo reel is a mixture of a million different things. That's probably not going to cut it if you're going for like, you know, a very competitive animation internship. It, it's usually the case that you'll have to be specifically doing almost purely animation for, yeah, like we said, like three to five years before you would be super, super competitive, generally speaking. Um, and as far as what your workflow probably looks like if you're in this camp is that you now have a pretty defined blocking spline and polish phase to your work. Uh, and of course, we we understand that people work in a bunch of different ways, but I, I guess 
you know, what goes with this is saying that you're just pretty structured with how mm-hmm. you animate a shot. And even though shot to shot, it might vary, you know, different shots require different workflows. You kind of have a methodical way of approaching things. Um, whereas when you're kind of at the earlier stages, it's just like the wild west. And <laughs> I know speaking yeah. from my own personal experience, like I remember being more the beginner in- intermediate phase and being like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, whereas, when you're internship ready, it's it's very possible you might feel like that here and there, but you kind of have a more structured um, plan of attack. A plan of attack is the perfect yeah. way to say it. Yes. Um, and also say you're probably giving more and special attention to stronger posing and facial appeal because you you feel more comfortable kind of with the basics. So you can devote a little more time to that. Um, you're now probably much more comfortable with technical skills like FK and IK switching, maybe space switching on rigs and kind of understanding the ins and outs of that. Um, for many people, video reference might be a much larger part of your workflow at this you know, stage of things, um, of course, depending on who you are, but, but it's uh, something we see very often. And uh, you probably have a much more developed eye and are comfortable polishing arcs, fixing pops, kind of doing the super nitty gritty stuff that early on Garrett and I were saying we didn't think was important when we were first starting out. (laughs) (laughs) But it is important. And if you're internship ready, you know that and you're kind of you are very proactive about kind of doing that stuff up front as opposed to needing somebody to kind of hold your hand through all of that. Um. And it's possible kind of from, you know, a more nitty gritty workflow standpoint that you're incorporating some of the more uh, uh, sophisticated tools like Anambot, A-Tools, Arc Trackers into your workflow. Um, Again, it's not absolutely necessary, but, you know, probably something you'll be doing. And uh, a, a big hallmark of being internship ready is probably that you're more you probably have shots on your reel that have taken you a long time to do and refined. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I kind of think of like Anim school or something like that. When I think of this where, you know, in like the intermediate and above classes, they might be spending 10 weeks on like one shot or something. Yeah. And so I think we wrote down here that, you know, some of your top, the top animations on your reel might be between like have taken you six to 12 weeks to complete. Uh, and again, it's all variable, but I think we put that in here to say that it's you're probably not going to be internship ready at this stage if everything on your reel is something that you did in two weeks for class. You know, you probably mm, have yeah. much more that's big um, involved kind of it doesn't necessarily have to be technically complicated, but much more involved, much more, um, you know, I don't know exactly the word for it, but super <laughs> in- polished. Yeah, polished, like intentional, crafted. Yeah, yeah. And a lot yeah. of thought into it. That's a good point, Garrett. Um, in your animation. So yeah. yeah. Actually that transitions really well to the demo reel contents we'd expect to see for someone who's internship ready. Uh, you probably by now have one to three or more very strong pieces on your reel with well-observed acting and or entertainment value. Um, so maybe that's something where you put like a subtle quirk or an interesting acting choice or you showed 
um, like an, an interesting eye flutter or something very specific <laughs> in your acting. That's or, great. Real quick, can I jump in with oh, a stupid, yeah. e- not a stupid <laughs> example? I should Please do. Not say it. It's the opposite <laughs> of a stupid example. <laughs> it's a wonderful example, but if I do say so, now I regret going so far the other way. <laughs> ah, I'm so but, curious. <laughs> but, um, oh my God, we were watching Coco again not that long ago. Yeah. Which, first of all, OMFG. <laughs> Just incredible. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, like in every way. But, uh, gosh, I forget his name. When the, the guy who's in the little hammock who... Oh, um, yeah. Who's yeah, going. who eventually like yeah. disintegrates and passes away. But he... After, um, what's that? I said spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, sorry, Sorry. everyone. If you haven't seen Coco. If you haven't seen Coco, shame on you. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. But uh, it's after... is it Hector? Hector plays uh, Juanita for him. Yes. When he, he's in That's the hammock. Right. And he goes, uh, uh, brings back memories. And he goes, look at this shot, because this is exactly what Katie was talking about. He goes to grab his hat off of his head and places it over his heart to like to be more in a peaceful pose before he disintegrates. And as his hand goes up for his hat, he misses initially. And his fingers kind of brush the brim but don't quite get it and then he has to go back again and grabs it and brings it down and it's not like this huge i don't know where my hat is it's just this beautiful (laughs) like he's not looking so he kind of misses it and then eventually he gets it and it brings it down and that's exactly i think what katie's talking about there Mm -hmm. where like it's the those little things where it's like super intentional for the animator but it feels so natural yeah. and so, so realistic human. and and so human, exactly. Um, so yeah, I just had to gush about that because I was watching it and I was like, it was so cool, and I just like was losing my mind over it. So that yeah. Pixar animator touch. was clearly internship ready. <laughs> <laughs> he was ready That's for an internship. Exactly right. <laughs> he or she. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I feel like. With Pixar, especially, they like love those little well-observed moments yeah, of acting. Sure. Yeah. Not that I've ever been on a Pixar real review team or gotten into Pixar, <laughs> but just like based on our stocking of people that go to Pixar, yeah, like they yeah, love sure. those little moments. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side, something we'll see with a lot of successful demo reels is a lot of entertainment value. So maybe. Um, it's a little it, maybe it's on the hammier side of animation and there's like a very clear setup and punchline to a joke or there's just a lot of thought in how entertaining the pieces are and how they fit together like the demo reel we saw recently um, from Spain oh, we'll have to yeah. share it in the show notes oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember her yeah. name but there was an amazing demo reel recently where um this animator basically structured her whole demo reel around the creation of a demo reel and how to make it like more dramatic and add physicality and all of the aspects of, um, I'm not describing this well (laughs) at all, but the whole demo reel was structured as one big story. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's best seen rather than described, but kudos to that animator because they really took it to another level of entertainment. (laughs) For sure. Amazing. And, and certainly not that you have to do that, but I I think one of the things that makes you specifically, or I mean, certainly that you don't have to do that specifically. I I think at the core of this, it's like some extra level of thought or care, whether it's with 
how a character picks something up or does X, Y, and Z, just so it's not like straight ahead, like, okay, this student was given an assignment where it's like, okay, the character is going from happy to sad. And then, you know, like some little spark of something. And I know that can be like frustrating to hear because it's like, what, what does that mean? That's so nebulous. (laughs) But yeah, it is kind of what people look for, I feel like. Yeah. And again, you should totally listen to our episode with Guillermo Cariago where we talk about animation demo reels. But I think for entertainment value and well-observed acting, like the ultimate goal is that you want to elicit some kind of emotional response or reaction in whoever's reviewing your reel and you want to make sure it's memorable. So that's why, yeah, these two points really hit home and can make or can get someone an internship offer if they have it on their reel. Um, By now, your demo reel might show a really good balance of dialogue, physicality, humor, drama, like maybe you have kind of spread out your demo reel to show that you have multiple skills in animation. If you went to one of the top animation schools in the country, maybe your student film has won awards and really stood out. So it's possible that that you might include a few shots from your student film on your reel. Like I've, I've seen a lot of reels from Ringling, which include student film shots where it's it's very impressive where the student has like modeled and rigged animated and lit their own character um, and that can super stand out um, and if you if you didn't go to a top school it's it's likely you've probably taken some additional schooling online to quote unquote get demo reel pieces and I think a lot of us are very familiar with what the rigs look like from those schools and we can kind of understand right away oh that person did an online class Uh, I recognize that online school rig and most likely at the internship ready point you've probably not done any professional work yet I I will caveat it's very possible that um, there are interns who've done some professional work here and there but um, at this level, it's it's slightly more common to see only student work, whether it's through a brick and mortar school or online school. Common limitations and problems we see with folks who are internship ready or either uh, or maybe they're in the internship is that they probably still have some mechanics issues to work on. Maybe they still need to work on offsetting the body parts and bringing in some more organic physicality. Maybe they have never put breathing into their work and that's something they can look into adding. It's possible that uh, the appeal might be lacking, especially with facial, um, which is definitely a developing skill. And I know it's something I am still working on. Um, it's possible. Again, we, we actually touched on this a little bit already. It's You might be one of two coins. You might be still a bit too tied to reference and maybe your poses are weak or your timing feels a little too soft and even because you're paying such close attention to reference or maybe you are on the other extreme you're too cartoony and you might need to dial it back a little bit and incorporate more physicality it's possible at this point getting notes might still feel a little disruptive and hard to rebound from, but hopefully it's getting a little bit easier. Um, possibly at this point, your lip sync might be underplayed or unappealing, and that's a huge area of improvement for you. In addition to that, um, 
your workflow is probably still pretty slow. Like uh, Ben was saying earlier, maybe your shots take you six to 12 weeks to really get to that polish point. Um, and you're still working on your speed. And it's at this point, it's likely that <laughs> there could be a very stark gap between your strengths and weaknesses. Maybe you're really good at like dialogue pieces and subtlety and drama, but really bad at physicality and action. And you feel very uncomfortable with certain types of shots um, and want to stay <laughs> with your stronger points. <laughs> um, and the last point is just, it's possible that you can still plus your storytelling skills. So um, again, this kind of harkens back to like acting clarity, which you're probably better at at this point, but maybe it's still an area of improvement. Very well said. And in terms of the bottom line, you know, if you are internship ready, um, like the name suggests, we feel <laughs> that <laughs> you are ready for an internship at this point. And, you know, we really think that like one or two really good demo reel pieces could open some doors for you. And I feel like if you're at this level, you've been doing a lot of things right. You know, like mm -hmm. you've like pat yourself on the back. I don't want to sound corny, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it's so hard oh, to like, yeah, for sure. yeah, to like achieve this level. Um, so, you know, kudos and, um, yeah, you're doing awesome. Some advice we have to kind of like take your work to the next level. I feel like this stage it's getting really, um, now it's getting kind of hard because you know, it's very personal, like whoever, depending on who you are, like what your weaknesses are, it's mm -hmm. definitely very personal. But what we kind of wrote down here, um, the big one is working on making your pieces on your reel, like consistent in quality and adding variety. So being really, really conscious of like exactly what you're going to work on and spend your time on. Because at this point, you know how to animate, like, you know how to like do all the technical stuff, you know how to make your character move. But you want to be very specific about like what you're choosing to spend your time animating. So if you have like, you know, three dialogue shots that are all funny, you might consider doing like a more dramatic shot. Or maybe like if you have a lot of dialogue, maybe do like a quadruped thing. You know, you want to show mm -hmm. like a different thing. Every every piece should show something unique. Um, like you shouldn't repeat yourself is basically what I'm saying. Um, and yeah, you want to make every real piece stand out. So definitely focus on just quality. Like, like I think Ben said, like, I love what you said about, um, you know, a hallmark of more intermediate or internship ready is you spend more time on your animations because you're not just like doing something in two weeks. You could take six weeks, 12 weeks. You might be mm -hmm. redoing things to make it better. Like you want to be very thoughtful yeah. with your pieces. Um, and in addition to that, kind of an extension of that is like strengthening your ideas um, with well-observed well acting um, and tell a story, like beginning, middle, and end, you know, like every shot. I feel like that was kind of, you know, on our, um, in our real review, we kind of talked about that for a while. No matter, honestly, what level, you should try to like uh, mm -hmm. have a beginning, middle, and end per, per shot. So I think that's something you should just like focus on and kind of surprise your audience, you know, like, so it's not like a very obvious ending, but um, definitely work on that. Uh, consider taking classes online with industry professionals um, and don't don't necessarily like poo-poo going to classes after you're like done with school. Um, I've certainly took classes afterwards and I learned probably more about animation in that in my one class than like 
actually about animation than I did like in my <laughs> brick and mortar school. So yeah. it's, it's really good to just do that um, and, and get freshen up your skills. Um, also consider catering your demo reel to different studios. Yeah. Um, ben, didn't get... you like, sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, 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 please. <laughs> didn't you like reorder your reel for different studios? Like not changing what was on it, but like just changing oh, yeah. what happened first. And... Yeah, I think we talked about that. I forget what episode it was, but we, we touched uh, on this yeah. briefly in another one where, um, yeah, I actually reached out to one of the animators at Pixar and they, they had given some advice to be like, okay, cool. Like I see the shots you have on your reel, but I would recommend reorganizing them this way just because of what we value at Pixar versus mm-hmm. what another studio might value. And, you know, it's tough when you're in school to be like, you know, I don't know anybody that has like three killer separate reels <laughs> that are like, okay, this is my blue reel. This time, is my whatever but... reel. Yeah. But, you know, maybe there's like, you know, if you have a, if you're applying to a place that does a lot of creature stuff, you put an extra creature shot on your reel yeah. that you normally wouldn't put on, maybe because you don't necessarily think it applies to, I don't know, Pixar or whatever. Um, yeah, any little, um, what's the word when you do something that's unique to like something? I don't know, like. <laughs> Any it's catered to each. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Any like special catering you can do to a studio like that. Um, it yeah. is certainly a plus, but, but we get it. We totally get it. If you, if you can't do that and your real is your real. Honestly, that's why you really need to be thoughtful as to exactly what you're going to work on. Because you, again, you're at that level where you can, you can really animate something good. It's just, it, at this level, I really feel like it's less about your animation ability and more about what you choose to animate um, that's going to make you stand out. So other things we we think would be good to kind of get you to the next level is uh, get feedback. Continue to get feedback from more senior coworkers or trusted mentors. I mean, it's always nice to have someone you can kind of go to for um, critique, um, friends mm-hmm. or, or whoever. Um, as well as like one big, thing you can work on doing is focus on getting like more efficient with your work and one way we suggest like doing that is like watching workflow tutorials or workshops or kind of like figure out how to use new tools like animbot i mean it's definitely like kind of scary to like learn a new tool because you feel like it's outside your comfort level um but i don't know about you guys but there's always been like moments in my my learning of animation where I like find a new tool that completely changes my entire workflow. Like, and yeah, it makes 100%. me 100%. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so, you know, definitely like look for those like breakthrough moments when you're in this level because they can completely change everything. Yeah. Um, Actually to combine those last two points, something I often do is, if I'm faced with something I've never done before, I'm not totally sure how to do, I might ask someone more senior how they would approach it um, oh, and get yeah. like specific workflow advice from somebody who's more experienced. That's great. Honestly, That's great. that makes me feel like we need to have like Joe Hallmark on the podcast <laughs> yeah. to tell us how to animate with your brain only. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> 
Oh, we already had him on it. What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about something else. Though. You know what? We should have Joe on. <laughs> right, we should have him on to talk about workflow selfishly so that we can all learn more ourselves. Actually, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just so people know he's like like the guru with like technical, you know, yeah. stuff. So yeah. he's awesome. Um but most importantly, the, our advice for you guys is to just keep animating. Um, and especially kind of what I was saying before, like animate new things. Um, like don't stick, and Katie mentioned this too, like don't stick with what you're comfortable with because you're just not going to learn as much. And as painful mm-hmm. as it is, you're gonna, <laughs> it's going to be so much better for you. If like, I remember starting to learn quadruped stuff. I was like, I have no effing idea how to do quadrupeds (laughs) (laughs) and you do it and you at least for me it's like because I didn't know I like studied it like a lot and I I'm by no means a master of quadrupeds but I remember like it was I learned so much through just doing it um so yeah just do that do what you're weak at All right, so we are ready to move on to the next category, which is one that's very near and dear to my heart because I was most recently in this category, and that is junior (laughs) professional. And this is kind of an umbrella term for several types of positions you might see, like trainee, apprentice, resident, junior animator, crowds fix animator, or assistant animator. The different studios kind of have different names, but I think these are generally the categories you would see. And the years of experience you might expect for somebody who gets an offer in this category, it's it's pretty similar to internship level in all honesty. Maybe you've been studying for around five years or more. Um, and you honestly might expect to see pretty similar workflow and demo reel contents as the folks who are ready for internships. But in terms of workflow, what you might be learning or struggling with or improving on is in general by now, you're very competent with full body cycles and keep alive. Probably the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis is cycle work and you're getting super familiar with body mechanics and just, yeah, how to keep something alive and uh, making the world feel real, whether that's background characters um, or a town scene or something like that. You're likely still improving on mechanics um, and just getting really familiar with, um, yeah, how the body works and offsetting the body parts. And when we say offsetting, we mean like that the head and the chest and the hips aren't all moving together or the two arms aren't twinning and moving at the same time, um, that kind of thing. You're probably getting faster um, just because of production constraints and deadlines. You're getting faster out of necessity and kind of learning at breakneck speed how you can get something done faster. And maybe you're learning really great tools and workflow tricks from your friends. And if you're at a place like Disney, Um, And I would guess other studios do something similar. Maybe you're getting very comfortable with recycling animation and and Frankensteining different animations together and layering on an existing animation. So something I did a lot, and I still do a lot, um, 
But when I was a CrowdsFix animator, I would often find existing animation in the Disney library, maybe a walk cycle or something like that, and layer something onto it to meet the needs of a production cycle. So maybe I had a a prompt, which was a, a walk and talk cycle. So instead of creating a walk cycle from scratch, I would look for a walk cycle and then build the upper body and the talking performance on top of that walk cycle. So anything I could do to get the assignment done faster, I would figure out how to do. <laughs> um, and at this point, you're probably getting better with self-diagnosing problems in your works and are fairly self-sufficient. And this is similar to internships where or internship ready folks where you can you can notice walls and your eye c- catches spacing problems and you you can kind of tell when something feels broken um, and and start trying to figure out on your own how to fix that. In terms of demo reel contents, um, studios kind of take a mix of less and more experienced folks for these kinds of positions, especially like apprentice programs. It's possible that you'll see reels which are really similar to the internship ready reels and they exclusively have non-production only student work and maybe a high mix of online classwork possibly one to three really strong pieces, but you also might see studios take folks who actually do have real production work and maybe they have worked on a feature before. It kind of, it kind of depends on the studio's production needs at the time. I think like if they need, if they have the time to train somebody up, they might take on somebody greener, but if timing is more tight, they might actually take somebody more senior Um, So that you might see a mix and and very often, even within the same intern or sorry, excuse me, (laughs) even within the same like trainee class um, or apprenticeship class, you might see a mix of folks because the studio might feel like, oh, you know what? We can take two like totally production senior folks and three more green folks. And that's like the mix we're willing to take on. So it can definitely vary. Um, it's possible that especially for like a crowds fix animator, um, a demo reel that's successful might actually include some cycle and crowds work because they want to know that you're very comfortable with body mechanics and you're very comfortable with the type of work that you're going to be expected to do. Like most recently, um, a year ago, we hired some more crowds fix people and we actually took at Disney some crowds fix people from another studio. So they had specifically worked in crowds before. So that's something you might see. Um, And it's possible that if you worked at uh, another studio or you worked on a feature, maybe you've done some simple production shots or maybe you've done some shots that have background character work and that could be on your reel as well. In terms of some common like limitations or problems you might be going through as a junior professional, um, you know, workflow and speed might be a big one. Like shots might take longer for you than more senior people, um, and you might have trouble predicting how long something will take, especially if you haven't done that particular shot before. Um, also, like you might still be struggling with technically complicated shots, things like multiple characters, complicated prop use maybe like crazy moving cameras or really complicated action. This is definitely, yeah. you know, and don't, don't feel bad about this too, because people from all levels struggle with like 
really complicated stuff too. I mean, immediately I'm just thinking of like how to train your dragon with like <laughs> complexity and like, yeah. I don't know, Ben, I feel like every shot was just like, had so many things going on. Yeah, there. for sure. Um, and um, we also said uh, you might need to focus on improving like 2D appeal and keeping things on model. Um, and you might be getting a lot of drawovers from soups. Um, I would say, especially if you're like, not coming from a 2D background and you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of a weak area for you. That could be a hallmark sign. Um, also, you're still like working on your eye and soups might still be pointing out, you know, walls and pops. And, you know, that's definitely something that you might just miss it, you know, at this level. Um, but you're probably decently good at catching most of them. But yeah, it still might be a little bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. And you might have some, like, weaknesses in areas that you have little to no experience in. Um, You know, for instance, if you're, like, really experienced with, like, cartoony stuff, maybe you don't have a lot of experience with quadrupeds. Um, So there might be still little areas that you need to work on, which is totally fine. So you might need help uh, pushing your animation or maybe even restraining it, depending on, like, where your inclinations lie, if you're more of a cartoony animator or more of a reference-heavy animator. Um, so another big thing is you might be struggling with specificity or, you know, staying true to the character. And this is a big one, um, making the animation not look like you because, you know, it's really easy to kind of like shoot reference of yourself and then like kind of rotoscope it on to your animation. Um, and that's kind of like definitely a big tendency of kind of junior animators, and I, you know, I definitely still struggle with that, like making the reference yeah. not like mm-hmm. basically going into the reference room and reacting to the situation, not as you would, but as like the character would is a big kind of like mental shift you have to um, go through. And totally. Yeah, and maybe a- if you struggle with this, ask someone else to shoot reference for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a really, and that was one of our tips, right? Like a while ago is like, oh, have yeah. a, uh, have a, <laughs> if you're a guy, have a girl shoot reference or vice versa or something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's a good. Um, and you know what? If you're hesitant to do that, I'll just call this person out and maybe we'll check later to make sure it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But uh, Vitor, Vilela, yeah. I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name. I'll, I'll check with him. But uh, even he, he doesn't often shoot a lot of his own video reference. He kind of directs people to shoot reference for him. Um, And the reason I bring him up in particular is because Vitor is incredible. Yeah. (laughs) He's awesome. So the fact that this like amazing, amazing nominated supervising animator, fantastic guy. Um, Even he has the humility to be like, you know what? I think somebody else might be able to like act this out better than I would or whatever. Yeah. Um, means there's like no excuse (laughs) not saying that you have to do that but if you're finding that's a problem for you like like garrett was talking about it's a great uh way around that uh to have somebody else do it for you like kitty brought up so yeah so i bring that up just to say that you know take heart (laughs) it doesn't mean you're (laughs) a bad actor or an animator or filmmaker if you're not shooting your own reference uh, because some of the best don't shoot their own reference so yeah, and you're the one interpreting it too. So like just because someone's, you know, coming up with this performance, you're going to take that. You're not going to mm-hmm. rotoscope it. And, you know, your choices are going to end up in the final product. So I think that's mm-hmm. a really great point to mention. Um, and lastly, uh, 
one of the things that you might encounter if you are a junior animator is um, incorporating notes might still be kind of a developing skill. Uh, not in terms of your attitude, but in terms of kind of how disruptive it is to your workflow. Like you might be getting better at being able to tackle like a big note, but it's still probably an issue. And to be honest, like this is <laughs> this is definitely <laughs> still an issue for all of us. Um, I think Ben mentioned earlier, it's yeah, it's a yeah, it's a thing, sure. but it it's going to be better soon when you get to the next level. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I feel like yeah, you get to a point where it's never not annoying right <laughs> but like you get to a point where it's manageable and i yeah. think that's what you're working toward so we before we get to the bottom line of a junior animator we want to quickly say that our friend garrett <laughs> finds himself in the midst of a block party which is yes. like completely illegal right now yep. garrett, do you want to elaborate <laughs> yeah there's just cr- very loud music there's a bar um, in this yard next to my apartment, um, there's like 20 people without masks, and uh, there's like a little a tiki DJ. Bar. It sounds like <laughs> if you're DJ. listening to this in three years, we are in the midst of like the COVID, like it's ravaging our state of California right now. <laughs> but apparently, people laugh. don't care. I know, we should, but it, this is ridiculous. But the yeah. party is, yeah, laughable. Yeah. You might not be it's able not to hear me. It at all. But it's not me, we it's can the party. It. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not having a rage <laughs> over right. It's not Garrett's average Saturday Although night, we're so. honestly a little jealous and like miss partying a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah. we took a little drinking yeah. So irresponsible and ridiculous, but it does sound fun. We're not going to lie. <laughs> Maybe I'll go we there after. condemn it. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Don't do it, Garrett. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So if we ever sound distracted for the rest of the episode, I'm sorry. It's because <laughs> <laughs> there's a huge yeah. party going on next yeah, to Yeah, don't worry. We're bringing the party to the podcast. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> this is the party. <laughs> so, yeah. With that said, we'll get to the bottom line of this topic of junior animator. Um, so to be honest, a, a tough thing with this is that you might be working in a place that is maybe not your like dream job or your top choices um, of what you might be wanting to do with your career. It might not be like the most glamorous thing. Um, and, you know, if you're here, you've probably reached the level where you're hireable for your junior position uh, at most studios, but or, or maybe like a mid-tier animator at a... a a less competitive studio, um, which is great. Kudos for getting here because really it takes so much time to get from like intermediate to this level. It's like so difficult to get here. So you should really pat yourself on the back. So as far as advice to take your work to the next level, we would say if you're, and this is a great point. I love how, you know, KDK put this in here. So I'll give her props that, this like disclaimer that if you're on a ladder you want to climb, which I think is a great disclaimer, if you're on a ladder you want to climb, focus on doing your assignments or your whatever you've been giving, given uh, to the best of your ability. And if you have any stretch opportunities, definitely do your best to ace those and do the best possible job you can. Uh, do not shortchange your production work uh for an acting test on the side. That's a very common thing that especially, so I'll speak to this again within the lens of like, if you're 
at a place where you want to be and you want to kind of climb the ladder. So let's say you get into your dream studio, but you're a super junior or a crowds level animator or something like that, which again, let me say is great accomplishment in and yeah. of itself. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But we think our advice is to say, do your job really well. And, and yeah. maybe on the side, you can kind of, you know, play with this or that, do a little test, but, I would certainly not make that like the main focus of what you're doing because kind of like Garrett said in a past episode, there's so much value into just in just showing that you can do a particular job well and that you care about bringing value to the studio. And um, yeah, if you're at a place like that, that you want to be, oh, can you hear Juniper Garrett? I heard it a little bit, but it's, okay. it's not that much. <laughs> we'll keep going. Okay, so Garrett's having a party at his place, <laughs> and we have cats scratching on cats. Really <laughs> scratching exciting posts, so, Saturday yeah. night here. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry if you have any audio interference. But um, back to what we were saying. Um, if you're at a place you want to be, really just focus on doing a good job, developing relationships, and eventually we feel like, you know, talent rises to the top and, and hard work rises to the top and eventually you'll get to be where you want to be. Um, yeah, I feel like if ahead, if you sorry. do your job well, that will make your supervisors want to give you stretch opportunities and focus on, okay, how can we help you grow and get to the next level? Yeah, that's right. And going along with this is, I'd say, uh, seek feedback and show often with your work. I would say one of the most important things, once you kind of get one of these entry-level jobs, you've clearly shown that you have an ability to be able to function in this environment. And now maybe one of the next best, most important things to do is to show that you're happy to work with other people and you're a team player. So part of that is kind of making yourself vulnerable and you know, talking about your shots and showing often and, you know, seeking feedback, like I said. Um, and what kind of goes hand in hand with that is developing relationships. And especially if you, you know, get in good with a more senior person who whose work you admire and who maybe you, you go to often and, and they give you good feedback. I mean, that's great, you know, because if you can have somebody in your corner to kind of speak up for you, if the, you know, promotion time comes around, That'll serve you so well. Um, and I think specifically, I mean, Garrett, <laughs> I cannot think of a, I feel silly for talking about this right now because Garrett like basically lived this, you know, and went through a kind of more of an entry level thing at DreamWorks and, and had great relationships and, and did super well. Totally. Um, yeah. I basically just said all of that, but <laughs> Garrett, <laughs> is there anything you want to add after I already, after I said everything? No, but... you said it. I mean, like we, we mentioned it in the, um, the last episode we recorded and we talked about stepping stone jobs and how important it is to just take it seriously. So yeah, uh, going along with this, this is a tricky thing that we talked about before, but you may need to do some personal pieces outside of work if you're not getting the stretch opportunities you want. Uh, again, this is something I think Garrett can speak to that he, <laughs> I, I thought it was good that you, Garrett, you said you did like a couple hours, maybe a night or a week or that you would kind of uh, yeah. chip away at personal tests that, yeah, go ahead, just start talking because I'm just <laughs> saying everything I think you would. No, no I, I, yeah, I remember it was like an hour a day. Um, when I was, I would do my job for the day and then I would do like an hour of animation. Um, and I didn't want to do more than that because I, I wanted to take the job seriously. Um, and slow and steady wins the race. 
in those right. moments. I think it's important with this point to like, yeah, never shortchange your production work like we were saying. But mm-hmm. um, if, yeah, if you're not getting those stretch opportunities, you can create the opportunities for yourself by doing personal work on the side, maybe. That's right. Definitely. Also, we would say uh, definitely embrace challenging shots and assignments that might you know, come your way. After all, you are growing and it's important to show, you know, growth when you're working in a job, especially if you're in an entry level position or really for all positions. Um, and then next, uh, we think actually this is something where we're pretty passionate about. I think that sometimes is overlooked is that it's important to express your interest and passion for certain shots or characters. Um, because they might be given to you. Um, I, I totally understand the tendency to be like, oh, I'm just going to work hard at what I'm doing and never speak up and, you know, just be quiet and hope good things come my way. And there's certain a lot of good reason for that. And and I think that's that's a great way to go. But sometimes you need to be willing to speak up for yourself and just, I think there's a way to very appropriately and humbly say, Hey, I know I'm kind of a junior person, but down the line, I would really love to do a shot like this or handle this sort of thing. Or this is what I'm particularly interested in. If there are opportunities in it, like if you've never had any, I don't know. We'll do, I feel like we always use creature shots, so I'll just <laughs> say it again here. But like, if if you're like doing human crowds work and you say like, oh, you know, I really would love to do creature stuff in the future. I think that's totally okay to say to a supervisor if it's not like, oh, I feel, um, I feel like I should do this because I'm, yeah. you know, entitled for this or whatever. But in just instead phrase it as like, oh, this is something I'm particularly interested in. And maybe I'm kind of doing these side practices or whatever, or, or projects to kind of get some experience in this. Um, I think that's totally okay to say. Um, Definitely. And what we, uh, another thing I want to, you guys feel free to jump in on this, but something I, I feel really passionate about with this is the flip side is that if you're kind of a junior person and you happen to be at a studio that is not, a ladder you want to climb, which is like, maybe you're at a place that you're working as a job right now to get some experience and to get your feet wet. But it's not like what you're interested in is your end goal, how to handle this. So I think in those situations, it's still incredibly important, like we said, to do a good job at what you're doing. And Because you never know when like you'll really need a reference or or you might be working with the people again that you're working with currently. But I might change my advice a little bit to say like you don't necessarily have to be like super killing yourself or doing extra exercises for that specific job. It can be like, okay, I'm going to funnel time after work into doing an exercise that I think might appeal to this other company I'm interested Mm. in. Or that might, Mm, mm -hmm. maybe I'll try to take an online class and do like a nice acting piece that I, that might be, I don't know, marketable to this other company. I'm trying to say, I don't think you need to kill yourself to climb a ladder you don't want to climb. That's a really good point. Cause you're also like putting all your eggs in one basket. If you're just kind of expecting, maybe I'll get promoted at the job I'm in. Like you should probably be thinking about the bigger picture, like, 
oh, maybe yeah. instead of climbing, yeah, like thinking about other companies, like I should be doing this more for how it will benefit me, my career as a whole. And like, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's great what you said. That's mm. a very good point. And this is one of my favorite things. I found it so like <laughs> poignant and, and I don't know, it spoke to me so much. And it's from the British version of The Office <laughs> of all places. <laughs> it's so stupid. And I'm sure it probably came up it's probably a reference from something else, but I love when uh, Dawn is talking about, she says, it's better to be at the bottom of a ladder you want to climb than halfway up one you don't want to climb. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I might've even said that before on this podcast, but I think that is so important just coming from, I feel like, you know, coming from personally, I was in the design world before and, you know, place I was working, they were like, oh, well, if you work hard, you can kind of keep going on this trajectory and you could be like senior designer, blah, blah, blah. And, but I knew in my heart, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I could put in all this extra time and do this extra stuff to do that. And it would have meant a little more money at the time or whatever. Or I'd kind of take a step back and say, okay, what am I really interested in? And it was animation, and I would have to go back and be a a student first and kind of go through the whole hierarchy again. But I can say kind of on the other side of it, I am so grateful for doing that now and not feeling like wedded to the first thing I tried. Mm. And I bring that up just to say like, you know, a lot of the advice that we just gave was contingent upon this is if you're already at a place you want to be. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to bend over backward and do all this stuff to rise the ladder. If you're at a place you don't want to (laughs) be. And Mm. again, I say that with some hesitancy because I don't, I don't at all want to suggest that you should not do a great job because I think you should and really prioritize that. But I think there's something to be said for uh, reserving a little bit of fuel in the tank to then put, put toward what you really are passionate about in in your end goal. I'll revisit the last point a little bit, which is just the like express your interest and passion for certain shots and characters uh, point. And one way this might manifest itself is at Disney, at least we periodically have a point in the year where our artist manager asks us to kind of list our preferences for certain projects that we might want to work on. Um, and this last year, I can't get into the specifics of different projects because of NDAs, but it was really clear to me that there was a short that I was especially interested in for very personal reasons. So I actually like reached out to the artist manager and reached out to the director of the short and said, hey, like, I just wanted to let you guys know, like, this is by far and away my top choice for casting because of XYZ. And then it led to me getting cast on that short. And because I'm one of the more junior animators, it actually helped me get some pretty like nice and complex shots that I probably wouldn't normally get on a feature where more senior people would get those shots. So I, yeah, I definitely recommend that if something really speaks to you, don't be shy about reaching out to the leadership on that project and saying like, hey, like this shot really spoke to me because of this thing that happened in my childhood or like whatever it is. Um, yeah, like on Raya and the Last Dragon, I, I don't think it's any secret right now that there's like a father character and a daughter character. Um, spoiler. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> the girl has a father. <laughs> so I, I made a point of saying to leadership, like, hey, like I would love a shot with Raya and her dad because it reminds me of, 
my Asian father and interacting Spoiler, with Spoiler, Katie has an Asian father. <laughs> <laughs> so those kinds of moments will come up. Um, and I strongly encourage you guys to speak up and request. And I didn't, I don't always get what I request by any means, but yeah, ask and you shall receive more often than you think. <laughs> yeah, this squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's definitely yeah. true. I've had so many moments where I, well, I look back and I cringe on, but it was probably good that I did it. <laughs> where I asked for, like, I think I talked about that shot with, that I asked Pierre for the opening of Larrikins. I was like, yeah. Pierre, could you give me the opening sequence of Larrikins? <laughs> and he was like, no. But I asked. But a really good uh, kind of sub point of that is that you weren't looked down upon. Well, as far as I know, that, you know, as far as you know. <laughs> no, it's no, yeah, I think it, it's the way you do it, right? Yeah, and I, and I, I have faith that you did it humbly, you <laughs> know, yeah, and, and I think that makes all the difference in the world, yeah. All right, now we are at animator level, so other words for this we we kind of have are like staff animator, temp animator, freelance animator, journeyman. Um, you might have maybe five to ten years of experience you know, anim- animating. Um, and that could be at a minimum. So it really, at this point, it's kind of a little subjective, you know, um, as far as, yeah, how much, it, like, the levels are getting a little more, not nebulous, but a little more difficult to distinguish. But yeah, um, workflow-wise, we would say you're you're comfortable animating a variety of shots and characters. You've definitely defined your personal workflow and are better able to predict your ability to hit deadlines. Um, That's definitely a big thing is like, even if you don't necessarily know how long something will take you, you probably have a decent gauge of like, oh man, I'm going to be over, you know, for this shot or, or I'll be early. Um, You're also able to strategize and alter your workflow for different types of shots um, because no shot is created equal. So (laughs) that's definitely a big thing you're you're getting better at. And you're also more comfortable and competent with incorporating notes. And you're able to turn things around quickly. And I think that's a theme we've been talking about where notes are super destructive. Um, If you're an animator, you probably have figured out like, you know, they can still be destructive, but it's less destructive. It's like way more manageable to to deal with notes. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you you hopefully have a strong sense of appeal, pushing timing, uh, facial asymmetry. Your posing is getting a lot stronger. Your acting choices are really solid, um, and your mechanics are you know are all there. And so, notes might tend to be more in the performance category, and maybe like the super polishy category. You're not getting like groundbreaking notes of like, oh, the waiting here is, you know, completely off. I mean, you might get some of that, but it's, it's less frequent than when you're earlier phases. So as far as your demo reel contents go, um, it's probably all production work at this point. Uh, you might have one or two personal pieces if they're super strong, but it's, it's definitely most common that your whole reel will be like legit production work uh from movies or commercials or whatever um and again you you probably now really solidly have a reel that would show like okay this is acting this is super intense physicality this is creature humor drama etc um not necessarily that you have to have everything 
but it's probably a very intentional reel where it's, you mm-hmm. know, it showcases a number of skills from different productions uh, that are very clear and concise to see. So as far as most common limitations or problems go for regular animators, and yes, these still absolutely exist, even for (laughs) regular animators, um, usually you'll have a weaker something or some genre, whether it's like, okay, I'm really into acting and stuff, but I haven't done a ton of creature stuff, but I'm really comfortable with other things. And I think we included this to say like, nobody's perfect, right? Even if like, you're pretty solid, like, mid-level animator doing your thing you can still have somewhat weaker parts here and there and and we say weaker as in you can probably still do a decent job at those shots but maybe they're not like your best thing and there there are some areas for improvement and you may maybe at this point you would struggle still incorporating some 2d concepts into your um into your work and you might require some drawovers or something and that's that's another way of saying maybe your work isn't like as clear and graphic as it needs to be from time to time. And, and there are some improvements you can make in that department. Um, maybe as an animator, you might be really solid, but you still lack some knowledge of technical or pipeline sort of things that that could arise with if it's like, OK, this is a super technical shot. Um I really don't know how to handle it or it would really help me if I knew a tiny bit of rigging for this or, you know, I don't know exactly how to do this. And I want to reiterate, this is like totally fine and normal. (laughs) It's just a way of saying like, okay, this is like you're a mid-level animator. These are like normal problems to have. Uh, But it's things you might want to like look at overcoming to get to kind of the next level. Uh, that's a bit of spoiler for like a few minutes from now. <laughs> but um, another thing is that you might have a lack of leadership or prioritization or communication skills. And uh, this sounds very negative, but it's like, <laughs> and, uh, but it's more like, okay, maybe you're like, you're really good at your job, but you know, you, you're maybe not the best about communicating about X, Y, or Z, about like not hitting a deadline or whatever, or, or you have a little trouble with self-motivation or something like that. And it's very possible that you could still be a very successful animator. But these are just some areas where you could stand to improve. Um, another big thing is you, you might need a good amount of help still for final, final polish stuff. Like, you know, lips, you know, really refined lip sync stuff, uh, eye shaping, sculpted in-betweens, etc., uh, just little things like that, that you see like the best, best animators doing where like every frame is kind of like be- beautifully sculpted. Maybe that's kind of lacking, lacking in your work, but you know, it's something you can work on. And again, that's just another hallmark of like, maybe you're a, you're a, but you're still doing everything else really well. Maybe you're very solidly in that mid tier of animator. Yeah, so bottom line for this animator level is that you could probably get hired at most studios at this point, whether that's a feature studio, gaming, commercial, TV, music video, pop-up shop, etc. Yeah, you're very hireable and marketable at this point and probably have, you know, a, a pretty decent experience finding and securing work. 
And advice to take you to the next level, which would be, I guess, supervising animator. And let me caveat here and say <laughs> that none of us have reached supervising animators. So all of this <laughs> is just kind of by observation. And what we would guess kind of separates an animator from a, a supervising animator position. So advice we would give is Get to a point with your animation where you're receiving very few mechanical notes and you're probably just mainly getting acting and performance notes. Focus on having very strong... Real quick. <laughs> sure. I just want to reiterate because that last one was so important, the disting- the distinguishment... Distinction. Distinguishment. No, that's actually, like I think a new drink now. The yeah. distinguishment. <laughs> distinguishment. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> distinction between mechanical notes versus notes as a whole. Like that's a good point. Even like the best animators can still sometimes get a lot of notes, mm. but it's usually like oh, creative notes or stylistic or acting notes. We're talking about you're probably not getting very many like objective animation y mechanical yeah. notes. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I just like wanted to reiterate that. Less one. like splining notes. Yeah. Cause maybe. I don't want people to freak out like, oh, I got a note. I could right. never be a supervisor. That's not the case <laughs> at all. <laughs> so yeah. That's fair. Sorry. Yeah. Totally oh no, broke no, that. that's a great <laughs> yeah. point. Um, So the next point is you likely have very strong communication skills and leadership skills, and generally you're starting to be seen as a leader in the department. So maybe you're somebody who's starting to make tools that everybody can use, or you're you're just kind of generally getting involved with the department and you maybe are starting initiatives with the pipeline or you're hosting happy hours or who knows what it is and you're just generally seen as kind of a go-getter and um, and are leading things around the department. Maybe you've taken it upon yourself to offer to test rigs and create library shapes for a character and help a supervising animator with their character and getting them up and running. Um this is this is something that I've noticed. This next point is is common to a lot of supervising animators at Disney, but maybe it's not universal across the board. Um, the next point is that you're comfortable giving drawovers to other animators. Um, and I wouldn't say that every supervisor has the skill, but a lot of the supervisors at Disney have the skill that they they have pretty strong 2D drawing skills and they're able to draw over an eye shape or a mouth shape and and show an animator how to plus it. Um, So again, not something that's universal, but it's definitely something that won't hurt and really might separate you from um, or might help you bridge that gap from animator to supervisor. And one other piece of advice we might give as sort of a stepping stone to becoming a soup is maybe you could be a mentor for an intern or apprentice um, or an apprentice or trainee. I know like Disney kind of uses that as a stepping stone ground for like aspiring supervisors um, in our department. They'll definitely target like really strong animators that seem like they're on, on their way to being supervisors and have them be mentors. So that's something you might participate in because it's it's a way to practice giving feedback and working with different personalities. And um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Giving feedback to help somebody improve their shot. 
So the next two steps in the animation ladder are supervising animator or head of animation, generally speaking. And we decided we don't feel like it's super necessary to do like a full assessment for these roles, as you can kind of count on people at this level to to have super strong demo reels and workflows. Uh, That being said, we will briefly go over kind of what we think it takes to become a supervising animator or head of animation just for anyone who's interested. Um, Generally, uh, it's really important to have really strong soft skills and communication and the ability to work with a variety of people. As we all know, animators come in all shapes (laughs) and sizes and personality types. So, yeah, you kind of really have to be be able to kind of morph to, you know, be a chameleon and, and be able to morph to different personalities and such and be able to communicate with people. Um, second, we wrote down here as a 2D drawover ability, which is what, wow, I really slurred that 2D drawover <laughs> ability, which is something Katie just touched on. Um, and again, this is not super required, but it, a lot of supervisors do have this ability and it is a great way to really quickly kind of explain um, you know, a certain pose you have in mind or something, um, something good to have in your back pocket. We also wrote down that it's great to have extremely strong mechanics. We think this is a pretty important one that you, you should be pretty comfortable with like the basic animation mechanics and stuff and able to give those notes really easily. Um, next, a strong technical knowledge is great. Again, this is kind of like the 2D skills. This is not super required, but just for frame of reference on like an average Disney movie, we would say usually out of like, I don't know, five to six supervisors, one or two of them is usually pretty tech savvy as well on a particular film. So certainly if you have that skill set or are willing to gain that skill set, it'll aid you and kind of or aid you in kind of rising the ranks and becoming more valuable part of the department or, you know, push you in, on the short list for leadership. Yeah. And uh, by opportunities. I'll, I'll elaborate briefly, like, and by tech skills, we mean things like you're, maybe you're familiar with rigging, maybe you're familiar with how, like, data is transferred down the pipeline, and, like, how a tool works, and the nitty-gritties of blend shapes, and, yeah, we're not saying technical in terms of, like, your animation ability, but more how, like, animation might relate to the entire CG pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Next, we'll say you have to be very creative, as in you have to have the ability to develop a movement style, uh, character personality, etc. That to me, I think this is one of the coolest parts of being a supervisor or something. Yeah. Is that depending on the studio, oftentimes you have a particular character or something that you're supervising or that you're the lead on or the go to the point person. And that is super cool. Uh, but part of that is that you have to be willing to kind of explore and develop like who is this character how Mm -hmm. do they specifically move and it's not just my generic taste in animation or whatever it's like no this is right for this particular character um so being able to kind of stretch yourself in those ways stylistically uh and yeah adapt your style depending on the what movie you're working on it might be a super cartoony or super realistic or somewhere in the middle and Mm -hmm. those abilities are are really integral to being a supervisor, especially in the feature film world. Um, Next, we put empathy. This is a big one. Like we said, it kind of goes in line with being able to communicate with a variety of animators and such. But not only for your own team, you have to be empathetic to what people are going through and 
uh, if people are feeling burnt out or whatever when you're casting or giving them notes, but also uh, interdepartmental empathy as well. You yeah. need to be able to, you know, organize things with other departments, whether, you know, even if this is, whether it's a huge studio down to a small one, you need to be able to kind of know where what you're doing fits in with a larger picture and being able to work in that environment and kind of optimize things for downstream. Um, next, we put decisiveness. This is another big one where, <laughs> yeah, it kind of speaks for itself. But uh, And I'll add with this, I'll put decisiveness and humility with this. Yeah, I'll say, that's like, a good Yes, you have addition. to be very decisive and kind of have an opinion, but also a lot of times that opinion is going to be wrong, especially if it's like <laughs> early on in a production and you're still kind of figuring things out. You might give an animator feedback or something and then the director totally disagrees with it. And the best thing you can do in that situation is own it and say, I'm yeah. sorry, I gave that feedback, but it's wrong. It will mean the world to the animator <laughs> that you're overseeing that you kind of take ownership in that way. So that's totally. a huge one. And then last thing we have written down here is time management. And again, that kind of speaks for itself where, especially when you're a supervisor, you might, depending on the studio, you might be doing a little bit less actual animation and more kind of strategy overall. And lots of meetings. Yeah, lots of meetings and figuring out quota and how you're going to handle this particular sequence. And you might be doing a tiny bit of animation on the side. And all of that is just to say that you need to be super organized and on top of things and able to kind of correctly or accurately uh, predict how long things will take and, and really manage your time. Yeah. Just to piggyback on something Ben just said too, is that if you're a supervisor or a head, you're not going to be animating as much. And so I think another point to this is like having a, a willingness to not animate as much and more transition into like mentorship and, like being okay with that too, because that's a huge, depending on the studio you're in, you might not be animating like at all. And that kind of, yeah. you have to maybe like shift your mindset to mm -hmm. being okay with that. And that's, that's just like, that's part of the job. So um, definitely wanted to just like put that in there. That's kind of like ingrained in what you, what everything you said, Ben, but um, just know that more of your job might be just like doing drawovers for other animators and shepherding them and getting them to, getting their shots to work with the vision of what the animator or what the director wants. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. And actually on that point, I'll give a shout out to an old work colleague, uh, JP Sands at DreamWorks was, uh, my supervisor for trolls world tour. And there was particularly a sequence we were working on with Barb where she poppy was in jail and they were kind of, you know, talking to each other. And he ended up giving me shots that he was originally going to animate. And I'm sure in that case, it probably had to be difficult for him to see another person animate these shots that he had already like thought about and had formed yeah. opinions mm -hmm. on. And I imagine had to let go of some of the things he had envisioned for the shots to kind of make way for what I had in mind. And not that either one of us was objectively correct, uh, but I think he did a great job of kind of shepherding the process and those shots along and giving great feedback while also kind of letting me do my thing with them, even if they weren't exactly what he had in mind. So I think that's a great point that Garrett brings up where even though you're a supervisor and you're super in control, 
one aspect of it is kind of letting go of some control too, because you're not, these shots aren't totally yours now. A lot of times you're overseeing shots that other people are doing. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's really good. Good point. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the episode topic. So I just want to take a moment to say that we absolutely expect to do a visual component to all of these levels. It's, uh, it's a lot easier, I think, to kind of see the differences, um, in animation ability, uh, based off of animation exercises and demo reels. So we are definitely in the show notes going to put example, dem- example, demo reels, example, example. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the self-assessment julep talking, but um, yeah, we're going to put example exercises, demo reels, maybe some of our own work, some ex- especially helpful uh, demo reels we've seen out in public. <laughs> um, so we absolutely encourage you guys to take a look at the show notes so you can self-assess that way by comparing your work to others' work out there on the interwebs. <laughs> Tip jar. Tip jar. Wait, Garrett, please, let's isolate that. Could you knock those two things together again? I want to hear that sound. I, I guess it sounds kind of like a glass. <laughs> Doesn't really. It's Garrett's water bottle with uh With an actual glass. glass. Yeah. Yeah, well... You know, I'm at home. There's a party next to me. I'm depressed. <laughs> I drink water. So yeah, this episode's tip jar is um, pretty pretty simple, actually. It's if you're animating a shot, we we think that you shouldn't have a lot of movement in the first like eight or so frames, or the last eight or so frames, because you want to give time for people to like register the shot. Um, this is like definitely a uh, this. This comes into play a lot if you're animating and you like decide you want to have like a blink or something in the very, very mm-hmm. beginning of the shot. And like you might get a note that's like, oh, just like delay that. So we have time to read the scene or read the shot and the character in the situation um, because it does take like a beat, you know, to like have people register like the first frame of your of your piece. So if you I just as like as kind of a recommendation, just like don't have much going on the first like ten frames of your shot, so people have time to kind of like absorb it. Um, That's a great one. I I think you know obviously in, in the context of a movie or something, you know you're you're kind of beholden to what's happening before and after your shot, um, but it's still great to keep in mind. But especially when you're a student and you know your reel is kind of popping around to from one shot to another, it might be a totally different environment, totally different characters and stuff. And so then it's especially important to like, okay, you, you kind of need to let the viewer have like half a beat to reassess themselves Mm -hmm. or reacquaint themselves with what's going on on screen. So that's a great one. Yeah. This harkens back to the point we made earlier about how like an intermediate demo reel might have a lot of quick cuts um, where you feel like, oh, we're just kind of landing in all these different shots very quickly and it's hard to process what's going on. And I think, yeah, it really shows a big step in growth when you actually take a beat to establish a scene. Maybe a character's thinking before they start talking or they react before they in- start their dialogue. And that shows a lot of acting instinct and and thought. So we heavily encourage you, yeah, 
to take a beat. And yeah, the giant caveat would be like you were saying, like if if the scene before you is cutting on an action, then you might have to continue that action. But yeah, pretty safe to say, like, don't blink in the first eight frames and yeah, give people a moment to process. It's a great, great point, Garrett. <laughs> Good job, Garrett. Well, it was all of us who came up with it. So. <laughs> 100% Garrett. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been Katie. Garrett. And Ben. Thanks for listening. And happy, happy New Year. Year.